Hello, my name is Christopher Kakuyo-sensei, and I am the practice leader of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. Our fellowship is made up of folks from all walks of American life. We are an American Buddhist Sangha. Our fellowship is lay-led, all-inclusive, non-discriminating, and transsectarian Sangha, influenced by the Pure Land Buddhist tradition and the teachings of Gyome and Koyo Kabose. Our organization focuses on the universal teachings of Gautama Buddha, the historical Buddha, and the mythic Buddha, Amida. Our approach follows the teachings of the Way of Oneness, a unique form of American Buddhism developed by Venerable Reverend Gyome Kabose, based on Shin Buddhist tenets. What you are about to hear are some Dharma talks from our local fellowship gatherings. Enjoy the Dharma talk. Today, I want to share some thoughts, contemporary form of Dharma, which is the form of Dharma that I'm calling a driving Dharma, or the Dharma about driving. It was ushered in shortly um, before the 20th century. Very little has been written about the driving Dharma. As a matter of fact, there aren't Well, until recently, there weren't any known copies of a sutra or a sermon teaching given by the Buddha about driving. It does appear, though, that the Buddha had great compassion on us. And he was concerned for the suffering, not just of all sentient beings, but also of all drivers, which most of you would be considered drivers and sentient beings. So evidently, the Buddha was concerned about you. So I want to share a little bit of the excerpt I found of this ancient and little-known sutra, the Dharma Highway Sutra. Not long ago, when many were gathered at the cloverleaf where the I-80 and I-15 meet, many of the followers of the Buddha were gathered near an open field next to the freeways. When the Buddha appeared, he had come to address the assembly of lay followers and drivers of all ages. The awakened One sat in full lotus and began, and I heard these words of the Buddha. Drivers, and the drivers replied, Venerable Lord, the Buddha's face softened, and he emitted a ray of light from the tuft between his eyebrows. O drivers, my concern for you and all living beings is boundless, and thus I have come here, where these two rivers meet the I-15 and the I-80 and their tributaries. I have come here because there is much suffering that pervades these rivers and tributaries. He continues, since the beginningless time, all sentient beings have had all sorts of delusions, like a disoriented person who has lost all sense of direction, who is held hostage by strong emotions of veiled expectations, and who argues with reality daily, especially during morning and evening commutes. Even the virtuous follower can find themselves overcome by blind passions when someone invades their lane of traffic or crowds their rear bumper at high speeds. Even the wise can be blindsided by anger at a slow conveyance in the passing lane. Do I not speak the truth? And the drivers replied, yes, you do, awakened one. 
Now, unfortunately, the rest of the suits, where there's only fragments left, uh, being destroyed by water, oil, and uh, coffee, damn it, and the ravages of time. Now, you may ask, what is this? A sutra, a sermon by the Buddha about driving. And my reply is only, if only there was, because I sure in hell could use one. My mentor, Reverend Guillaume Kabose Sensei, and his son, Toyo Kabose Sensei, were all about what we call an everyday Buddhism, a Buddhism that is engaged with the challenges and concerns of people like ourselves, for regular, ordinary people, a Buddhism that applies to ordinary life, because ordinary life is, as Zen master Nan Kuan teaches us, is the way. Not much can be more ordinary than modern man and woman and the act of driving. So if the way is the ordinary life, it's not far from the proposition that driving is a part of ordinary life and therefore is part of the way. Driving is part of the way. How in the hell is driving part of the Buddha way? part of the Buddhist practice. Even more importantly, if that's true, I'm screwed. So first, I want to start sharing a poem with you by the venerable Robina Curtin. She's a Tibetan Buddhist nun in Australia. And I love the matter-of-factness of this poem. Ready? We're all mentally ill. We're all delusional. We're all addicts. It's just a matter of degree. I like how she embraces the certain negative labels and says, wait, hold on. You think you're not like that? You think you're different? Come on. Let's all be honest with ourselves. So these labels are used for other people, not for ourselves. We can discount them. We, we like to dismiss them. And we dismiss the experience of people who we label as such. And I think one of the reasons why we do that is because we can avoid looking at ourselves. She calls it as it is. You're delusional. I think most of us would agree that we are delusional in a not awakened way, but not actually delusional or in a literally delusional way. But is that true? I appreciate Shinran Shonen. Uh, he is the founder of Jodo Shinshu Buddhism. And I have adapted one of his poems that will be in our um, practice manual again. Quote, blinded by our delusions, anger, and greed, we cannot see the brilliant light that embraces us. The great compassion never tires, always casting its boundless light upon us, just as we are, always. Let's start with a question. What do you call someone who is out of touch reality, or in other words, doesn't accept reality as it is? What do you call that person? Delusional. Yeah. Delusional. Crazy. Me. <laughs> so what's the old saying? 
what's the definition of insanity? And we all say that. Like we just love, yeah, everybody knows that. And guess what? Everybody lives it. Every day. Do we not? I mean, really examine your life. And a lot of times it's in just small little things. But a lot of times it's in our relationships. Not just our love relationships, but our work relationships. Or our relationships with drivers, other drivers. Somebody asking you if you're delusional is usually not the general conversation we're having unless you're in crisis. But I think it's important for us to start where we're at. We like to be the hero of our own story. We like to say somehow we're different and we're all different and we're all the same. But we all have one thing in common is that we are all ultimately, to a certain extent, delusional. Now, for our purposes here, we're going to define delusional as someone who argues with reality. Okay? I like the way Noah Mayo Sensei puts it, is that we argue with reality because we want reality to be something different than it is. Anybody go through a difficult divorce? Were there times when you were arguing with the reality of the situation? Anybody ever laid off at the worst time? Or arguing with the reality of being laid off? Talking about the fairness of this or the fairness of that? We're delusional. And this is why we're delusional. We're delusional because we want reality to be different than it is. I want my childhood not to be the childhood it was. And I fight against it all the time. Rage against it. I can't change it. I can't make it any different. I can deal with it. I can work through it. But I can't change it. I can't argue with the fact that it happened. And not just that, even in little ways, we can, we can invent all kinds of stories and schemes and strategies. We can even create convoluted stories so we don't have to accept things as they are. So we don't have to accept ourselves as we are. We make up stories to justify our actions, justify other actions, to understand other people's actions. And all these stories are getting us in the way from us to seeing things as they are because we don't see things as they are. We see things as our stories are. I want to share a little bit on an everyday example of how this works, how this arguing of reality works in a more um, easy way. So an everyday experience that most of it, how many people here drive your car at least once a week or every day? <laughs> okay. So pretty much we all drive. Anybody only take Uber? Okay. Public transportation only. Okay. So we all can relate to this. We all drive. All of us drive. So it's an everyday activity that all of us do. So I want to share uh, an experience that I had when it comes to driving. And it was a Dharma teaching that was given to me um, when I did it. I've been working on this idea for a book for years called The Dharma Highway. 
and how driving can inform us about <laughs> practice. And one day I'll get that damn book finished. Um, because there is so much here. Every morning when I drive to work, as uh, it happens every day, the flow of traffic constantly changing changes. Would you agree? Always changing. Slows down, speeds up, always in a state of flux. Because there's a myriad of causes and conditions causing the traffic to ebb and flow. This is the very nature of traffic. Would you all agree? When traffic stops moving, it ceases to be traffic and becomes parking. I don't think I have a problem with, par with driving. I have a problem with parking. That aside, here I am. I'm driving to work or driving home. Doesn't matter. Like I do every day. The reality that I want. This is the reality that I want when I drive. And it's what I expect when I drive. No red lights, goodly speeds, graceful lane changes, and blinkers. Yes, blinkers. These are the things that I expect in my, my commute. So I expect traffic to be light, and if heavy, it still moves efficiently. But what happens? What happens when we drive? What happens with these expectations? Pretty much every time, once I get on a freeway or get on a road, um, they're dashed after the first right-hand turn. Anger, rage. Seriously, what is wrong with us? You ever ask yourself, what's wrong with me? Why am I so upset at this person in front of me? It's so weird. I still don't understand. Um, when I say we become angry or enraged, I, I really mean I become frustrated, angry, and my pulse races and my vision narrows. And all of a sudden, I'm assigning all kinds of character traits to people. I have no idea who they are. I transform them into my enemy, one of Mara's henchmen. And I've noticed that since the pandemic happened, the traffic was really great. Nobody's on the freeway. Uh, it's gotten worse. Uh, and I've even noticed this week, as I was preparing this Dharma talk, that um, what it says in the dri Driving Sutra, the Highway Sutra is true. Quote, even the virtuous, I mean, I'm semi-virtuous, mostly, followers can find themselves overcome by blind passions when somebody invades their lane of traffic or crowds their rear bumper at high speeds. Even the wise can be blindsided at anger at a slow conveyance in the fast lane. I need to remember that on the back window of my pickup truck, I do have a big image of the Buddha. So I need to be careful. Overcome by blind passions, we, well, I, start to drive aggressively, tailgating and fending the, the offending car in front of me. All because she dared move into my lane. My lane that was assigned to me from birth. And she had taught me to tap on my brake rather aggressively. How rude. How disrespectful. Didn't she even see me? Well, in reality, she did. One of the hardest things to realize when people do, do something on the free, it's not about you. They don't even know you're there. It's not personal. They're in their own head. Just like someone else we know. Namo Amida Butsu. So I'm mad. I'm assigning the, all these stories about this person. And I pull up and I get a little closer and I don't notice the bumper sticker. 
placed lovingly on the driver's side of the bumper, perfectly straight by her special needs granddaughter that reads, world's greatest grandma. And they realize, I'm delusional. I'm not seeing reality as it is. I'm creating a reality by telling stories about the person who cut me off. It really is lunacy, if you think about it, to suffer so greatly. And I'm suffering. I am suffering. When we have that road anger, that's suffering. Okay? That is dukkha that the Buddha talks about. It's really lunacy to think that I suffer when I drive because of the ebb and flow of traffic. Because of other drivers. What does traffic do? It ebbs and flows. Duh. And yet, I find myself suffering. And yet, even while I was working on this talk this week, I had moments where I'm saying, okay, okay. Instant like these make me think of how many other places in our lives that we are being delusional. Our relationships, our jobs, our own expectation of ourselves. How many here deal with grief? The loss of a close friend? A suicide? And somebody tells you, or you tell yourself, oh, I should be over this now. It's been a year. Who told you that story? What are we telling about ourselves? What story are we telling about ourselves? That's not reality as it is. It's not who we really are. It's who we told we are, who we've been told we are. One of the greatest teachings that I found in the Dharma was from Gyome Kabose Sensei. And it's that acceptance is transcendence. That acceptance is the way to our freedom. This is not a passive acceptance, but an active acceptance of the reality of your situation. If you're in an abusive relationship, accepting is accepting the reality that you're in an abusive relationship and you need to do something. Acceptance is required for that first step of action. Acceptance is required for your liberation. We suffer because we're unwilling to accept reality as it is and are so willing to drive right into the depths of dukkha because we want so badly to believe that we have some control over our lives. I would rather suffer and stay deluded. And yet to be free, I have to acknowledge that there is nothing I can do to change reality. That reminds me of what Horayuko uh, Itsuki writes in his book called Tariki. And his mantra when he's dealing with challenging things is this. There is nothing I can do about X. There is nothing I can do about Y. We don't like hearing that. We want to always think there always is something I can do to fix it, 
acceptance and then action is transcendence and freedom. There is nothing I can do. The ebb and flow of traffic. I start saying when somebody cuts me off or the traffic slows down and I'm late, there's nothing I can do but be present in this moment. This is a great mantra when stuck in traffic. There is nothing I can do about the ebb and flow of traffic. And here is something that I rarely think of before I even get into my car, truck, or whatever conveyance you are going. Probably not chariot, but. Um, our driving, getting in a car, every time we get in a car, is our opportunity for mindfulness practice. Every day we get in a car, it's an opportunity for mindfulness practice. Every day. Reverend Koyo Sensei talks about it in his Bright Dawn book, Bright Dawn Everyday Spirituality, and so do others. If you think about it, each time you get behind the wheel, we can see it as an immediate opportunity to practice the Dharma. I appreciate this from an article that was in Tricycle in 2002 by a trucker, a trucker and a mindfulness teacher. Perfect. I just love that. Trucker and mindfulness teacher. Badass. Um, and he says, quote, think about it. You're hurtling down the highway inside a 3,000 pound metal box surrounded by other speeding metal boxes and immovable objects. I think he really puts that in perspective. You know, the most dangerous thing you do every day is what? Drive to work. Drive to school. It literally is the most dangerous thing you do. But we never think about it. We never think about it. Maybe we need to. Maybe we need to put that in perspective. We never realize how dangerous it can be. For most of us, we'll never be involved in a serious car accident. Some of us have been involved in serious car accidents. We know how dangerous it can be. And yet, I would say probably the most mindless place we are on a daily basis is when we're in our cars. We're listening to the news, we're listening to music, we're on our phone, we're texting. We're doing all kinds of things when we're driving, but we're not being mindful. While this five-ton vehicle, well, that's a really big vehicle, uh, your one-ton vehicle is driving down the freeway at 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And it's mindless. How many of you have got home and don't remember how you got home? I think all of us have experienced it, haven't we? We don't even remember our drive home. I remember the first time that happened. That kind of terrified me. He goes on to write. Paul Conrad goes on to write. Quote, driving provides continual opportunity for us to wake up, to be mindful. There is no other daily activity for which moment-to-moment -moment awareness is so important or the consequences of inattention so immediately and potentially catastrophic, end quote. So my practice is the practice of acceptance. I can accept the ebb and flow of traffic 
and simply observe how it works. And it's just like my mind. Isn't that interesting? Your mind ebbs and flows. Traffic ebbs and flows. So when we're driving, it's like observing our mind. We get to observe traffic ebb and flow, and we get to observe our minds ebb and flow as traffic ebb and flows. I think traffic becomes an excellent metaphor for our own thoughts. When I start my usual driving chant of, seriously, I take a breath and say, ebb and flow, ebb and flow, baby. And I've noticed that when I do this, I become more aware of the unnoticed kindness of strangers, the one that let me in when everybody else was crowding me out, the person in the car next to me that I notice is crying, or the kids in the back seat laughing and making faces, all manifestations of the light of the great compassion. A few more excerpts from the Highway Dharma Sutra. Quote, thus I heard the Buddha teach. Good drivers, when you approach your vehicle, be mindful of the largeness and heaviness of it. Do not let your anger to your, in your conveyance be a weapon. Approach it and bow. The gathered assembly said, yes, Lord. The Buddha continued, while sitting behind the vehicle, the wheel of your vehicle, the steering wheel of your vehicle, bring to mind the wheel of the Dharma, the eight spokes of the eightfold path, and take your hand and go over the Dharma wheel and turn it gently. One driver from the assembly arose and spoke to the awakened one. Most wise Lord, what am I supposed to do when the driver is angry at me and glares and presents his middle finger? And the Buddha smiles, good question. I say to each of you, when another's anger overflows and gesticulates all over you, your response as my follower is to simply bow and to let go of any animosity. And the assembled drivers spoke out in unanimous voices, yes, most venerable one. Now, these last lines of this imaginary sutra actually came when I was thus engaged driving and somebody wasn't going to let me in and he was encroaching and he was being very aggressive and I wanted to get out. And I'm like, going, come on, you're a Buddhist minister, you dumbass. Uh, so it just automatically claimed, what should I be doing? And I automatically just bowed. I just bowed to him. I didn't flip them off. I did. I just, it's just softened and I bowed and it just made him more angry. <laughs> I, and I, and I don't know why, but that was the, the appropriate response is I'm sorry. I get, you're having a really miserable day. Maybe you're getting a divorce. Maybe your dog left you. But that doesn't mean that's going to always happen. I want to share um, a story from a Bright Dawn lay minister, Dave Kuyo Sensei. And he had a similar situation. So here's his situation where he did respond, as the Buddha suggests, to bow instead of flip somebody else off. 
quote, as we eyeballed each other, waiting to see how this was going to go, something totally unexpected happened. Instead of delivering my prepared marks and gesticulations, I kept my mouth shut, and then of their own volition, my hands went up together in gasho. Even more surprising to me was that the reaction of the two men in the other car as their faces relaxed and they spontaneously raised their hands, not exactly in a gasho, but in a likewise conciliatory gesture to imply that my message of peace was received, end quote. So in my situation, it just made him angrier. In this situation, it actually conveyed the message of peace. The only thing I can do is share the message of peace through my bow, through my recognition of my own expectations and delusion when it comes to driving, acknowledge myself, and share that awareness through a bow. Whether the other receives the message or not, that's up to the other. But as a follower of the Buddha, I can do that simple task. Reverend Coyle goes on to write in his book, quote, when I drive, goes on to quote, to write, when I drive, I can make any interaction into a positive impact. I become aware that each moment is a unique, absolute moment, a precious moment, not to be wasted, end quote. Reverend Coyle gives us a few suggestions to do this. Instead of being angry at the inconvenience of a red light, use it as a prompt, a prompt to stop and return to your breathing. You stop at a stoplight, breathe in, breathe out. That will give us two minutes at every stoplight to return to our breath and to return to the present moment. He says, use the yellow light whenever you see a yellow light to remind you to slow down, to slow down and be present with what you are doing. Notice the things around you. Notice the clouds against the mountains or how beautiful our valley looks at night when the lights have it illuminated like diamonds. Be present with what you're doing. And I'd like to close this Dharma talk with what is left, the last fragments that were found of the Dharma Highway Sutra. Towards the end of his sermon, the Buddha said these words. If any one of you gathered here, O humble drivers, heeds my words, bowing and bringing to mind the turning of the Dharma wheel when you drive and practice mindfulness, generosity, and patience. They will be freed from suffering and will achieve equanimity. And these two freeways will be places of practice and compassion and no longer rivers of folly, folly and suffering. Thus spoke the Buddha at the spaghetti bowl of the I-15 and I-8. Namo Amida Mutsu.